Well, God bless you guys. Welcome once again to Swerve Church. I'm so happy to be with you guys, spending some time in God's Word today. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah as we start this new series. And so some of the verses are there in your notes. Some of them will not be. Uh, we have the first four verses there. So would you guys just, if you have your Bible, take whip them out. I'll be reading from the NIV today, but take out your Bible, read, uh, open it up to Nehemiah chapter 1, or take out your phone, and you can scroll to it. You can follow along there. Once again, some of the verses are in your notes, but not all of them, okay? But we'll be in the book of Nehemiah. I hope you guys are having a great start to your week. Last week was kind of crazy, right? They were predicting somewhere around 18 to 20 inches of snow. Thank God it didn't come. We just got some, right? We didn't get as much as they predicted. It was that heavy, wet snow, and it was annoying, and it did slow everything down a little bit. But thank God it wasn't as much as they had uh, predicted. Um, but I'm just so thankful to be here with you guys today and to crack open this book and to read um, about the life of Nehemiah. I'm really excited about this brand new series um, because it's all based on the life of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah is a small book in the Bible, so it's kind of difficult to find. So it's okay. Go ahead and cheat, and you can use the table of contents. It's not a big deal, all right? Or just scroll. It makes your life a lot easier if you're able to use the app. But it's this little book in, in the Old Testament. It's a little hard to find. But I hope that as a church, we can spend some time together reading this book over the next four weeks and really gleaning as much wisdom from it as we possibly can. Now, this book, guys, I have to warn you ahead of time that it has a lot of special importance for me, this book right here. Because when I was contemplating attempting to start a new church, a new work here in my neighborhood, in my community, Nehemiah really helped me and confirmed for me what I really felt God was calling me to do and to go ahead and do just that. And I can really relate to the character of Nehemiah. So this book here, guys, I warn you ahead of time, it's very emotional for me as I read it because I just begin to think back and remember like how God was stirring in my heart and really taking this step of faith. And of course, those steps of faith have never stopped coming since then. But it really confirmed for me what God was calling me to do. So I get really emotional around this book. And actually, you know, honestly, I, I kind of, you know, my secret prayer is that every single one of you would react the same way. When you read the book of Nehemiah, when you read and you study the character of Nehemiah, my secret prayer is that you'll get the same exact way, and that you'll receive that same burden. Because here's what we see through the life of Nehemiah. We see this, that God specializes in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's what we see in, in the life of Nehemiah, that God specializes in using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And it's so funny how God works, isn't it? Because we see this truth play out all throughout Scripture. You, you can pretty much do a character study on any person in the book and pretty much see that this is exactly how God works. You know, one quick example is the life of David. You guys remember when Samuel the prophet went to anoint the king, he went to this guy, Jesse, and he was looking for all his sons. And he goes and he sees the first son. He's like, wow, this guy's real big, muscular, handsome. You know, this guy has to be him, right? That he has all the skills and the trade, whatever. And he actually goes through all, the, all of Jesse's sons, and God tells him that neither one of them were. Now Samuel was looking at the exterior and saw, yeah, definitely, these are good-looking guys. This has to be, one of them has to be king for sure. But God was looking at something else. And what God had, who God had chosen was David. David was the youngest of the brothers, and he was in the back tending to the sheep. He was the lonely 
shepherd boy. He probably stank like sheep poo, right? He's, that's what he stank like. That's who he was with. That's who he was around all the time. But God did not look at that. God sought something else within David in his heart. He realized there were some other characteristics that David had that he wanted to use for his glory. And his brothers did not possess that. God doesn't look at what we look at. He looks at the heart. And so when we study the, the character of Nehemiah, Stephen mentioned this a little bit last week as well in his message as we wrapped up divine direction. But we look at, his, at this character, and he's very similar to David. He's, he, he's not a big deal. Like, who was Nehemiah? He was cupbearer to the king. And so basically, if you guys don't know, the cupbearer was the person that would taste the wine before it was given to the king, right? It sounds like a glamorous job. It's not, because if the wine was poisonous, then Nehemiah's job was to drink it and die so the king wouldn't be poisoned. So he would avoid somebody trying to murder or kill the king in that sense. So he didn't have a glamorous job. In fact, you can kind of call him like a glorified butler. It's kind of what he was. And he was an ordinary guy. He was, you know, hashtag relatable, right? Like, I can relate to this guy. He was just a regular guy, you know, normal guy, kind of not, you know, not a glamorous job, probably not making a lot of money. And this is why I love Nehemiah. I love him because I can relate to him. He didn't have a luxurious lifestyle. You know, sure, you know, he lived in the palace and there was some comfort there of living in the palace, but he wasn't living necessarily in luxury. You know, he was working a dead-end job. Literally a dead end job. If, if if he drank the wine and it had and it had poison, he was dead. <laughs> he was he was working a dead end job. Sure, he was comfortable living in the confines of the palace, and I'm sure that working at the palace had its perks. But all in all, he was an ordinary Joe. He was a regular guy, and for some reason, God oftentimes uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things. And this is why I can really relate to Nehemiah. Now listen carefully. If you graduated the top of your class, if you were voted most likely to succeed or most popular in school, if you have more trophies than the Yankees, and if you were more popular in school than the movie Frozen, I have good news for you. God can still use you. He can still use you if that was you. It's just that God choose, likes to choose ordinary people. He likes to use ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. So let's begin, guys. You ready to dig in? Let's read Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. So I'm just going to open up my Bible. I'm reading from the NIV, if you guys want to know what version I'm reading from, to follow along. Those verses there are also in your notes. And here's what it says. Chapter 1, verse 1, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. So he's asking them, like, what, what is it with my city? This is where he was from, and he wants to find out the condition of the city since they were exiled. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So he goes on to say in verse 3, they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. It's a big problem here, right? The, the city lies in ruins. And look what 
Look at his reaction in verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So just to give you guys a little context of what exactly is going on here, Nehemiah actually mentions it later on in chapter 1 that God had warned the Israelites that if, if they were to continue disobeying his commands, and they, that he would turn them over to their enemies. And that's exactly what happened. They ended up being under captivity of Babylonian rule, and the walls of the city had been destroyed. Right? So they disobeyed God. God turned them over to their enemies, and as a result, their cities in shambles. Right? The, the walls are destroyed. The gates are burned down. And as Nehemiah asks about the condition of his city, Hanani says, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, here's why this is a big deal, right? Like, what, what's, what's the case? What, what's, what's wrong with this? Well, first of all, no walls meant that the city was vulnerable to attack, right? Because the walls were really the first line of defense, is uh, preventing people or perpetrators from coming in to attack the city. It provided protection. So that, that the walls weren't there meant that they were vulnerable to attack. And secondly, it's just embarrassing. Right? It's embarrassing. Their home is in shambles. And the surrounding nations would be looking in and saying, look at the God that these people serve. How, how can they serve God and, and have their city in such in shambles? And, and look, they're so vulnerable to attack. It's so easy. Anybody can come here and do whatever they want. And so it was embarrassing that the walls were broken down and, and they would think the worst of, of Israel, of God's people. So when Nehemiah heard this, it did something to him. It did something inside of Nehemiah. Did you guys catch it? It did something deep down inside of him. He had a water boy moment. You guys remember the movie Water Boy? Uh, it was uh, uh, Bobby Boucher, right, played by Adam Sandler, that funny movie where he, he let the pressures and he let people making fun of him and it all mounted up on him until what happened, right? He, he exploded, and he had this water boy moment. In fact, I want you guys, in case you didn't see the movie, Check this out, right? And that's kind of what happened to Nehemiah. This is kind of like, in, in essence, that's what happened to Nehemiah. He had an encounter similar to this. He had a moment of righteous anger, and he says something like this within himself. He says this, someone has got to do something about this. It might as well be me. Someone's got to do something about this. It might as well be me. Nehemiah has this moment of anger. He just gets overwhelmed with what's going on in his city, realizing that the walls are in shambles, that the gates have been burned down. Man, how can anybody allow this? I'm all the way so far away. I got to do something about this. How can this have happened? Someone has got to do something about this. It might as well be me. Have you guys ever had this type of righteous anger rise up inside of you? Some, some righteous indignation? You know, perhaps you've experienced some sort of injustice or you saw some unfairness that raised up this and bubbled up this anger deep down inside of you or maybe you saw a need that you wish people would meet and it just breaks your heart that no one is meeting that need and that nothing's being done you know this definitely plays into my own narrative if i can just speak about you know my own situation for a second because i remember observing my surroundings and just looking at my neighborhood and looking at people walk by, being negatively impacted by the lostness around me. And it was amazing to me to see that in my own neighborhood, 
There were so many broken homes and broken relationships and sin-stricken youth that were around me. And I saw so much lostness, and I saw such a lack of hope. Beyond that, I began to notice a lack of healthy, gospel-centered churches in my, na- in my neighborhood. Of course, no lack of churches. There's plenty of churches, but a lack of churches that preach the life-giving, life-transforming message of Jesus Christ through this book right here, the Word of God. And there's such good news in the life, in the death, in the resurrection, the ascension, and the soon-returning right narrative of Jesus Christ. Instead, I noticed many preaching a gospel of fix yourself and then come to Christ. And so I looked around me and I saw all the lostness, the brokenness, the sin, the broken homes and relationships and the failing schools and the churches that lacked gospel clarity. And it broke my heart. It really broke my heart to see the conditions in my neighborhood. And I ended up having a water boy moment. I ended up having this within me. I said, man, somebody's got to do something about this. And it might as well be me. And I realized that ultimately what could answer Bushwick's problems is rootedness in Christ. It's, it's the gospel that ultimately brings the solution, right? Ultimately, the gospel is the solution to the problems in the neighborhood. And as we move forward, I want us to pull out three qualities of ordinary world changers from the life of Nehemiah. This is what I really hope that we will be able to do as we study the, the, the character of Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah. We want to pull out these three qualities of ordinary world changers. And by God's grace, I pray that I would exhibit these very qualities within me. And I hope that I can be an ordinary world changer. But you know, like I mentioned before, that, that I hope for you. That it would be the same for you. That as we study the character of Nehemiah through God's word, that it would be exhibited in you. That it would transfer to you. And that that you would also, that it would spark a fire, you know, in your bones. And that you would all be able to see the world changer inside of you. I pray and I hope that you would allow the Spirit of God to so move you beyond compassion, beyond tears, beyond words. So, Because words are easily said. Tears, you know, they come. Feelings are easily shared. But there's so much more to being an ordinary world changer. By God's grace, I really pray that this will be for me and for everybody here. So what do ordinary world changers do? Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, uh, number one is this. They sit down to cry. They sit down to cry. He says in... In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, the first part of the verse there says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. When he heard about the condition of the walls, he sat down and wept. And this is Nehemiah's first reaction to hearing the news. He begins to cry. This is the first thing. And we get the idea that he's not just shedding a tear. Right? He's not just shedding a tear. I think what we can sense is that it's a full-on weeping. Like it's just a broken heart over the condition of his city, which helps us understand when we see this, that it's, a, it's totally a burden from God. Right? This is not just something that's, it's a burden from God, which is why he's weeping about this. Because countless people have heard about the condition of the walls. Many people are walking by and they're seeing the condition of the walls, not doing anything about it, not really breaking their heart. But when he hears about it, 
he sincerely hurts about it and he begins to weep. When I read this, it immediately reminds me of a passage in the New Testament. Do you guys remember reading about Jesus when he overlooks the city of Jerusalem? What does he begin to do? Jesus also begins to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And another, pa another passage in the New Testament tells us that he felt compassion. He felt compassion over the people as he looked on to them. They were like sheep without shepherd. Jesus felt that same compassion. He felt that great burden over the people of the city. And in Nehemiah's case, he's overwhelmed with emotion at the news of the condition of the city. Now listen, he's, all, he's about just under a thousand miles away from his hometown. And if we're honest, you know, we know, okay, the job is, has its risks, right? But he's living in the comfort of a palace. He, and in a lot of ways, he's comfortable being cupbearer to the king. He had every reason to stay put. There was just no, you know, why, why go? Why travel? You know, the 800-plus miles back home to try to fix the walls. and to try to, He had every reason to sit and stay there and stay home. In fact, you know, what he could have done, he could have he just donated to 1-800-BUILD-A-WALL and have somebody come and do the work. He did a charitable deed, right? He gave money. He could have gave sacrificially. He could have donated resources, right? He could have stuffed the hurt and felt like he contributed to the cause. He could have just turned on the TV, watched Netflix, and call it a day, right? I, I did something. I, I donated, you know? I donated. I helped out. And so often we do just that, don't we? Like that, there, there's a burden there placed by God, and all we do is stuff it down. We drown out the noise, and we avoid it. You know, you go to that homeless person that you see every day, and you feel like there's this, like this God-sized shove to go and talk to him. Go approach him. Go pray with him. Go offer him a sandwich or do something. But you know what? There's way too much to do. There's too much on my mind. You know, there's no time for all that. And we shove it down. Now, here's a question for you. Stephen, he asked this question last week, but I'm going to ask it again. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? For some of us, it might be the human trafficking. As you hear about all the innocent women and children that are being trafficked and forced into the sex trade, you know, not only around the world, but here locally in your own backyard. And what's going on here, that might be something that really burdens you. For you, it might be bullies. Maybe, you know, you, you were bullied growing up or you have somebody <coughs> close to you that you love that experienced the bullying and, man, it irks you. Like you, man, and, and like there's something that you want to do about it. You want to educate people on it. Because, uh, you know, somebody experienced some kind of hurt. Maybe it's those people that suffer with hunger all around the world. You hear about, you know, so many people dying of hunger or a lack of clean water. Kids dying of dysentery because there's no clean water. And it's something that really burdens you. It's something that really hurts you. It might be those broken marriages and homes and families. You know, so, but what? What lies heavy on your heart? What breaks your heart? Did you ever ask the question or did you ever say to yourself, why doesn't anyone else do something about this? You ever said that? Why doesn't somebody take care of the situation? Why doesn't somebody do this? Why does it seem like everyone else doesn't notice this? Have you ever said that to yourself? And I so, I so totally feel like that sometimes. After all, I'm here trying to plant the church, you know, with all of you that will empty hell and fill up heaven with people from our community. 
I look around at the lostness and all the broken families and all the racism and the classism, the gentrification, the displacement, the injustices, the lack of gospel presence, and I shout, why don't you see that? Why don't you notice that? Why don't you see it? Why can't you see the need? Why can't you see the solution is the gospel? Why can't you see that Bushwick desperately needs Jesus? This is what I cry out to myself. In fact, this week, uh, you know, you guys got to meet the team that was with us last week from Tennessee, and we were having kind of a recap time, and one of the girls told me that as she was walking uh, back to where they were staying over on Stanhope at Living Waters, that uh, they, came, they were walking around the time that kids dismissed from school. And there were some middle school students, and you guys saw it was a large group, right? There was 19 of them. And I was, as they were walking back, that um, she heard one of the middle school students say, what are all these crackers doing in my neighborhood? What are these crackers doing here? And uh, she heard that, and it really broke my heart to know that, that that exists in my neighborhood, that that exists in my community. And it's, and it's exactly all the classism, people with greater class moving in, gentrifying, displacing the racism that as a result of all that, and I cry out, why can't you see that this neighborhood desperately needs Jesus? In part, if you ask yourself that question, why, why doesn't anyone else see this? It's because God chose you. It's because God chose you. God chose to place that burden inside of you the way God chose Nehemiah and placed that burden inside of him. He gave you the burden to be a mouthpiece for that cause. In my case, he gave me a burden on my back, right, to be his mouthpiece, to proclaim his kingdom here in Bushwick as it is in heaven. He placed that burden on me. He gave it to me so that I can be his mouthpiece and I can talk to you and share this with you. God, let's bring the kingdom of God here. Let's bring the kingdom of God to Bushwick to share this burden with you, to help you see and to realize and to invite you into God's heart for this neighborhood, for this community, for the people right here. Listen, you didn't choose the burden. The burden chose you. And I think God wants you to see. And what I want to communicate is that God can turn your misery into your ministry. God can turn your misery into your ministry. That burden, that thing that lays heavy in your heart, God wants to use it to break your heart for those things that break his. In Nehemiah's case, he hears the message of the condition of the walls, and it breaks his heart. And he sits down. He begins to cry. He begins to weep. The ordinary world changes. We, we sit down to cry. Here's the second thing if you're taking notes. We kneel down to pray. Ordinary world changes kneel down to pray. It says it in the second half of verse 4 there. It says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And sometimes we can be so overwhelmed by the thought of what God may be calling us to do that we ask, what can I do? What, what can I do anyway? What can little old me or little old you do 
to solve the problems of sex trafficking or world hunger or people far from God in Bushwick. But what can we do? What can we do anyway? Here's what you can do. You can pray. You can pray. But you think to yourself, oh, come on, Dan, are you serious, really? What is this going to do? The problems in, in, in Bushwick and the problems with sex trafficking and whatever other burden you might have, these are real problems that need real solutions. And I would tell you that it all begins with prayer. You can pray. Because prayer is never a last resort. It's never a last resort. As followers of Jesus, it's our first line of defense and offense. Because God plus you will always equal the majority. God plus you will always equal the majority. And listen, you're not praying to little six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. That's not who you're praying to. I need you guys to understand that you're praying to the Lion of Judah, that you're praying to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's who you're praying to. And when when it comes to this situation, when it comes to this hurt, you can pray. You can pray. And this is exactly what Nehemiah did. In fact, when you go home, please take out some time and read the rest of Nehemiah chapter 1 because it's his prayer. It's his prayer. He prays to God about this burden that God placed on his heart. This is exactly what he begins, begins to do. And throughout the book of Nehemiah, you're going to find many, you're going to find many examples of him praying. He would just stop and pray before he talked to the king. Just a little flare prayer up, up to heaven. God, Give me, give me grace, give me favor, and then go ahead and, and, and share the king, share with the king his burden. What you see throughout the book of Nehemiah is that he would pray. The strongest leaders are praying leaders. And I definitely have not always been the best at this, uh, no way. But by God's grace, I want to be better. And, th- and this burden here in Bushwick, you know, to plant a life-giving church, to reach people far from God, to reach those people that have... have little to no exposure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This burden is way too big. This calling is way too great for us not to bathe it in constant prayer. It's part of the reason why before service starts, we do our little huddle time. We go over the schedule. We go over some announcements, but we spend time praying because we realize that this call is too great. This call is too big for us not to bathe it in constant prayer. So I want to invite you guys to continue to pray. Find time during the week to pray for whatever burden it would be. Find time to pray. Seek God in prayer. You know, one of the things that I, I, I've brought up to myself, you know, if, if something doesn't genuinely break my heart, I have to ask myself, am I praying for, for that? You know, if if my, neighbor, if my neighborhood doesn't break my heart, am I praying for Bushwick? Am I praying for my neighbors? Am I praying for those people that walk through these doors, the visitors that come for the first or second time? Am I, pray, am I genuinely praying and seeking God? Ordinary world changes. Sit down to cry. We kneel down to pray. Here's the last thing in your notes, number three. We stand up to act. We stand up to act. Here's what Nehemiah does. Eventually, he goes before the king to perform his duties as cupbearer, right? But this time around, the king notices something about the countenance of Nehemiah. 
he looks at Nehemiah. Man, Nehemiah doesn't look normal. His face looks downcast. He looks kind of sad. And the king's like, what's going on here? Now, this is crazy because you would never go to the king, you know, mean mugging or sad or contrite or upset. You just, you wouldn't go because that might just be your last day. Right? You wouldn't go before the king like that. Any of those things were a license for the king to end your life and take it away. But the king looks at Nehemiah and he sees his face is sad and contrite and is kind of downcast. And he says, you know, what's going on, Nehemiah? So I want us to read his response. This is Nehemiah 2 now, is when he goes before the king. And it's verses 3 to 5. It's not there in your notes, but you can look it up. You can, uh, uh, if you have your Bible, take it out, open to chapter 2 or on your phone. This is Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's read verses 3 to 5. Here's what it says. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Check this next phrase out. It says, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Right before he gets his response to the king, he just says a quick prayer right away. Uh, to God. Verse 5, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. So that I can rebuild it. Notice what Nehemiah says here. As he presents this before the king, he realizes this is my God-given burden. This is the burden that God has given to me. And he owns it. He puts the responsibility upon his back. And he asks the king to send him so that he could rebuild it. It's like Isaiah's prayer in the Old Testament when God asks him, you know, who should I send? Who should I send, Isaiah? And Isaiah's response is not, here am I, send someone else. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Send me. You're going to catch a God-given vision or God-given burden. Listen, weep over it. Cry over it. Allow that burden to take deep root in your heart, not just on an emotional level, but on a spiritual level, on an intellectual level. Allow that burden to lie heavy. And as you continue reading in the book of Nehemiah, what you'll see is that Nehemiah puts some serious thought into this. He puts serious thought into this burden. He puts some serious thought into this burden that God has placed on his back. He plans it out. He plans out the project. He has detailed instructions on how to pull it off and how to make this happen. Then you're going to kneel down to pray. You're going you're to cry out to God. You're going to beg him for wisdom and for guidance. Then all that's left to do is take action. Do something. Take action. And so often when it comes time to take action, we put so many excuses, don't we? All of a sudden, everything gets in the way of accomplishing our God-given purposes. Would you agree with that? Think about this. Take a trip to Disneyland or to the park or go on vacation or go to Six Flags. And listen, there's not a care in the world and there's nothing that's going to stop you from going there, right? But as soon as it comes, the moment that we're presented with a step toward our God-given destiny, the excuses begin to roll out. Yo, my fingernails hurt. My hair hurts. I got a flat tire. You know, it's just like, yo, you know, and you just whip out all these excuses. The moment, the moment that you have to take a step, 
towards your God-given destiny. Those excuses just aren't there when we're going to do something recreational. And listen, I don't even have to list it out for you because the, the excuses are popping into your head right now. But the one of the top ones that I think we all struggle with is, well, I can't do it all. I can't do everything. This God-given burden, burden is way too great. The need is great. Is great. Uh, the need is way too big. Right? It's way too great. There's no way that I can do this. There's no way that I can accomplish all of this. Listen, God is not calling you to do everything. He's calling you to do something. In fact, I want to say it's something like this. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You can do something. When it came for me and the burden that God placed in my heart to plant the church in this community, listen, he said, like, I, I wish, you know, we had all the resources in the world to be able to do something that can really impact the community on, on the hugest scale possible. On the hugest scale possible. But God just placed in my heart, you don't have to do everything. Just do something. Take that one step. Take one step. That's why we, we do some silly stuff. We go with a broom and a dustpan to the park. And we clean up the park. When it's hot outside, we get some cold waters in a cooler and we give out a couple waters. In the wintertime, we give out hot chocolate. We, this week, we gave out M&M's. To put a smile on somebody's face. Why? Because we can't do so, we can't do everything, but we can do something. That's not going to eradicate hunger in the community. It's not going to solve anybody's you know major issues. I can't do everything, but I can do something. I can do something. I'm the biggest and the firmest believer in this statement. This is huge. You have everything that you need to do what God's called you to do right now. I was sharing this with the team this week, and I told them, whatever's the vision that God's placed on your heart or the burden, one of the excuses that we can put is that we don't have the resources, right? We don't have the money. We don't have the capital to do whatever God's calling us to do. So I might as well just, you know, sit back until, you know, a leprechaun gives me a pot of gold so I can go do something with it, right? But I really believe that you have everything that you need to do, whatever God's called you to do right now. I'm so confident. In fact, we are here today. Because I just took a step of faith, and I trusted God with whatever I had. You know, we would meet in the house. I had $5 to buy some coffee and some bagels. We'd meet in the house, invite some neighbors, and go do whatever, you know. And just step by step and little by little, God just provided everything that we have. I've just seen God work miraculous ways and miraculous ways to provide everything that we have. I was sharing this with the team this week. I really don't understand it. But it's just, you know, God's economy is so different. You know, in our economies, like you spend more, you lose more. But with God's economy, you give and he gives. You give, he gives more. You give, he continues to bless and pour out his blessings. I don't fully get it. I don't understand it. I've just been able to see God's hand at work. He's provided. He's provided along the way. And I'm pretty sure that I'll repeat this throughout the series, but I believe it wholeheartedly. But so often we get caught up on how overwhelming it is to get something started that we don't start it at all. Our vision dies on the mountain of excuses. Excuses are like a dime a dozen, right? We are excuses for days. But God has given everything that you need to do whatever God's called you to do right now. 
And as a church, God has given us whatever we need to do, whatever he's called us to do right now. We have it. There's no lack of resources. Whatever, whatever's at hand, we have it. We give it, God gives more. He blesses. I want you to take heart in this. God specializes in using ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. God specializes in using ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. This should be, this should give you some confidence to realize that God can use an ordinary Joe, an ordinary person, and accomplish extraordinary things. This is my prayer. This, this is what keeps me up at night. This is what I cry over. Could God use a band of misfits like us to really make an impact in this neighborhood? I think he can. I really, really think he can. It's up to us. This, this vision could die on a mountain of excuses. We can just trust God with what he's given us. We could be good stewards of his resources. We can trust God and continue to take a step of faith. Just join me in praying. God, I pray, uh, Father, that you would continue to burden us and break our heart for what breaks yours. Forgive us, God, for uh, those, uh, those times that we allow the, the burden to momentarily die on a mountain of excuses. And uh, increase our faith, God, to trust you, to, to trust that, that you have everything that we need to accomplish your purposes and to fulfill your purpose, God, in our lives. We trust you. And I can't wait to see, God. I can't wait to see what you'll continue to do through ordinary world changes like the people here in this room. In Jesus' name.